Yeah, well, don't forget the school that I was most successful at, we didn't have a field to throw on. We didn't have a ring or a field to throw on, but I had people from all over the world, some very famous track coaches, coming to this little Catholic high school here in Utah to see what we were doing that was so good. And what they often said was, you know, I'm spoiled by the fact that my athletes are choosing after a workout, whether the hot tub, sauna, ice pool, or, you know, they have like 12 different re uh, recovery modalities they can do. And your kids just freaking work. Oh, yeah. So we got, how did we get better? Because we didn't have any modalities. We had, <laughs> your recovery was going home and eating dinner, you know? Yeah. That was just some of the wisdom of Dan John in speaking of simple, hard-nosed training and its benefits, as well as the effect of having too many choices on training and athletic performance. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches, training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 96 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith, and today on the show, we have strength coach, fitness expert, writer, Dan John. Uh, for those of you track and field people out there, Dan John was also a very successful track and field throws coach, uh, as well as a track and field competitor in the discus. And uh, this is really an episode, I think, that has it all for so many people. Whether you're a personal trainer all the way to elite level track coach, there's something for everybody. I think Dan, the wisdom that Dan brings to the table is very universal. Uh, one of the things, uh, and Dan honestly is probably uh, one of the most, if not the most, impactful writers uh, in terms of my own coaching development. Uh, two of his books in particular, Easy Strength and Never Let Go, have had a massive impact on me. Easy strength being one I go back to year after year, just kind of uh, reading the things I've highlighted and then highlighting new new pieces. Uh, one of the things I, I really feel Dan has to offer and one of the things that I really get from his work is his blending of uh, human performance, sports performance, strength and conditioning with life lessons from the world of relationships and finance and and uh, you'll hear him talk about that a little bit in the show today and and the more that I can kind of well well for a few reasons I mean I like uh, it helps me to understand the principle in sports performance better 
but I feel like it also makes me a more well-rounded person to hear Dan's stories and anecdotes. And so today, uh, Dan's going to share his wisdom on how to simplify a program, how to cut out the unnecessary. He's going to talk about the easy strength philosophy, how to take that into the track and field coaching events, and a little bit about how we designed programs for throwers. He's going to talk about the history and effectiveness of loaded carries, how they had a strong impact on his own program, and how it helped him to set a uh, discus lifetime PR at age 47, which is just crazy. Um, but that's uh, it's just really powerful stuff, simple information. <clears throat> We're going to go into the ownership factors and effectiveness of uh, lousy or a, a training facility that doesn't really have a lot of things and lack of equipment and how that can actually be a huge success factor in athletic performance. Uh, Dan's going to talk about high rep strength training, the effect of uh, coaching now in the digital age and what that means and what some coaches are missing out on with that and a lot more. So uh, you'll love this show. Again, it's great talking with Dan. Uh, I've been a fan of his writing for some time. So it was an honor to talk with him. And I'm sure you guys are going to get so much out of this episode. So let's get on to episode 96 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Hey, yeah, thanks so much. I'm glad you called. This worked out really well. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm super excited to talk with you on a variety of topics. Uh, some of your works, uh, Never Let Go, Easy Strength, and your other writings have had uh, such a profound impact on me as a coach. And so looking forward to getting into a lot of topics. Uh, before we get too far, though, uh, just wanted to ask, what's been new in the world of Dan John over the last few years? Well, we put in a new deck. So that's six decks in the backyard now. And today I put up a, a new stream of lights because uh, we had we had a set of lights up, uh, outdoor lights for a long time. And my wife hated them. So I finally granted her wish. And I replaced our Indiana Jones lights with, uh, oh, if you think about Italian movies, uh, outdoor lights, that's what they look like. And I don't know, working out every day, traveling the world, lots and lots of flying, and um, come up with I've come up with some really good, really good ways to explain some things lately, and I'm I'm very happy about it. It's like I don't know if you read my Wandering Weights, but the one that's coming out on Wednesday, I think it did a good job trying to explain very simply what I try to teach people. It's it's nothing too fancy, but so I had this concept called shark habits, and that's. That's just saying yes and saying no to things and shark, you know, one bite and it's done. And uh, and then the other concept I use from Pat Flynn is pirate maps. So anything that's in my goal house uh, is a pirate map. Uh, when Coach Mon told me to be a great discus thrower, you know, you lift weights three days a week and throw four days a week, you know, for the for the next eight years, a lot of people went, well, that's what do you what do you mean by that? And you're like, well, I mean, what I mean is that you know, for the next, uh, ooh, I don't know. So what it comes down to is that when someone tells you that, it means you're about to dedicate uh, 1,248 lifting sessions over the next year and 1,664 throwing sessions. And if you add one pound to your bench press every one of those sessions, by the time you're done, you'll be benching you know, somewhere around 13, 1400 pounds. And if you add an inch every workout, you'll be throwing 500 feet, which is, you know, double the world record. Okay, it's a joke, right? It's a joke. I mean, because I don't believe in linear progression. But uh, so I'm in this place right now where I'm trying to each and every day get a quality night's sleep, start my day, you know, taking care of business, getting a workout in, eating eight to 10 different vegetables a day. Uh, today's a, 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 a good day. 
I've had, I've eaten 20 different vegetables today. And I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to make not only what I teach, but my own life simpler and clearer and a little, not better or worse. Just, I'm just trying to make every day a quality experience. Um, as I've been telling people, uh, ever since I turned 60, I started counting by months. So I'm 727 months old and I don't know how many more months I have left. So you better make them pretty good. Yeah. Uh, well, shoot, 20 vegetables. I, I, I think, uh, I only had however many were in the lasagna my wife made for me for lunch. So I, <laughs> I got a few more to go today, man. That's uh that's pretty impressive. Yeah. See, what's my goal? It's my goal is, uh, eight different ones a day. Yeah. I had that... to double check it because eight is the least. And I always try to get more than 10. That's just different vegetables. Okay. Yeah, they have a little variety to it. Yeah, shoot, I'm, I'm behind there. I gotta, I gotta catch up on that. I, I like that, uh, that principle, and I like the your methods and the way that you are just so good at teaching things. And your background as a, as an educator has always been something special in how I feel like I've been able to learn from you. One of the things that's taken me like almost a decade to get, and I'm still getting it. I'm 34 and. Is just the idea of when when does a program become too complex? And I'm kind of been a programming nerd. I think a lot of people listening to this podcast often can get that way. And it's still uh, at first when I've heard, you know, oh, it has to be simpler, keep things simple. It's like it's like you're fighting yourself to to listen yeah. to that. Uh, so could you just talk a little bit on maybe a primer on when a training program is too complex and why why simplicity? Like what are the benefits? Well, the, yeah. The mistake you make is the same thing we say in discus throwing. We, we teach a very good method, and we always tell the athlete, it's simple but not easy. The problem you have, and all your listeners have, they think that my simple programs are easy. You know, it's like when I tell people one lift a day, and they go, well, how will you make progress? And then they send me their numbers, and it's like, okay, if you were a 12-year-old girl, uh, these would be impressive numbers. But, you know... I can see why you need you're, – you're not strong enough. The, the numbers aren't big enough to elicit the responses that I think of. I think most people's programs are way too – they're way too complicated because the load isn't big enough. The reps aren't challenging enough, and the movements aren't good enough. So, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I, I told people this last weekend. You know, I did a, for seven years – I snatched and clean and jerk three days a week, and uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and basically did front squats Tuesdays and Saturdays for seven years. You know, when when I got stuck, when when my workout on Tuesday was front squats, and I was struggling with the heavy loads, we went lighter and did more front squats. And by the time I got done, sorry about my dog walking back and forth. Here. <laughs> and when I got done, I had a pretty good lifter. But the problem is most people would say, well, well, Dan, uh, I'm on this. I'm trying to learn the Olympic lift. I'm doing this. I'm doing the protocol I read online. And so I'm doing, uh, you know, microfibrization across the uh, mesocycle. And I'd be like, dude, you haven't lifted any weights. You know, it's like uh, I always use the example of uh, this, this boy goes to Harvard and gets his MBA. And he's sitting around in his basement one day. And his grandpa, a very famous businessman, walks down and goes, what are you doing? He's, he goes, I am, I'm highlighting my business plan. He goes, do you have any customers? No. Well, Grandpa says, if you don't have customers, you don't have a business. Stop writing and start getting customers. 
I feel that way about what we do in the weight room. Uh, our customers are load and reps and uh, uh, movements. And if you don't have load, get in the weight room, get stronger. Um, I see this all the time. Uh, my daughter came home from college and they, they put her on this program as a hammer thrower where she had, oh, prehab, rehab, all this band stuff. She was doing plyometrics. She was doing bodybuilding. She was doing powerlifting. She was doing Olympic lifting. And to be honest, you're never going to get any good doing all that stuff. Yeah. And she was strong, but this program, she was in the, she was in the weight room two, two and a half hours just doing all this stuff, but none of her lifts went up. And so her hammer didn't go farther. And so that's the hardest thing to get used to. You can do a very simple program. We got this one thing we call it 30 for 30, okay? And uh, basically it's 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. And, you know, I tell people, if you pick five basic, we'll, do, we'll make it even simpler for you. Okay, push-up position plank, uh, isometric hip thrust, uh, goblet squat, suitcase carry left, suitcase carry right. And so you'll do a strength movement, 30 seconds off, 20 kettlebell swings, which is about 30 seconds, 30 seconds off, strength movement, rest. Well, you do that for 30 minutes. No big deal, right? Very simple. Five basic movements and swings. But when you add it up, you did 300 swings in that half an hour. You did five really hard movements in that half an hour. And when you're done, you're starving and you can't wait to go eat. The workout took 30 minutes. You basically had to know six things, but you're, you're done. And that's the biggest problem I see with most people's programs is they have all this junk, but they never do anything. Uh, I don't know how clear I can make that, but I, I feel good about that. Yeah. As you were speaking, something else popped in my head. Like if you would ask an athlete at the end of that workout, what did you just do? And it took them more than three seconds to tell you, <laughs> then then maybe it was a little bit too complex. And you giving your that anecdote too of your daughter and and a two and a half hour long workout. Um, you know, I've seen a few of those, and, and it does certainly yeah. make sense. Well, she's going to she's going to college on an academic scholarship. She's thrown the hammer, she and she joined a sorority, and you have a two and a half hour workout. Something's got to drop. Something's got to have to drop. And what drops is the intensity of that little workout. And now you're doing all these things with your Excel spreadsheet and you're, oh, and I see those workouts with Excel spreadsheets and, oh, and they check, they make little check marks next to the thing. When I would show up to Dick Knotmeyer's, we would lift for two and a half hours and the two exercises were snatch and clean and jerk. And by the time I was done, I was starving to death and my body was super compensating. You know, I put on 40 pounds and four months of body weight, drug free, you know because my body was super compensated. So I think I, I, I rarely see a workout that can't be simplified, rarely. And it's funny, I, I work with people who say, hey, I love simple workouts, and then you see the workouts they put together, and it's like, so, <laughs> you see, this, this is a new thing people do now, is they're gonna do like a kettlebell or barbell complex, and they'll be like, um, we're gonna do a set of eight with, uh, the row, the clean, the press, the back squat, the good morning, um, flip it back over, front squat. And then the next exercise is another complex. And the next exercise is another complex. And it's like, how does a person remember that 
those eight exercises in a row, I always blow up complexes really big so the athlete can just look down on the floor and see the next exercise. But I'll look at these things and it's like, oh, you see it online all the time now. Double kettlebell clean, followed by burpee, followed by clean and press, followed by clean and front squat. Well, by the time the person gets the fifth exercise, they're, they're just trying to figure out what the workout is. They're not getting any work done. You clean and jerk 400, just do it one time. That's a good workout. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah, exactly. Like your body, I've heard it. I think um, Paul Check might have said it. Like your body remembers the most stressful or impactful thing you did on the day, or so, something to that tune. I, that's at least that. So it comes to mind when you mentioned that about the clean jerk. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure lots of people have have, have gone down that that same that same route. Yeah, it's like when you coach track and field. You know, your your body remembers the vomiting after the <laughs> the really fast 400 meters. It doesn't remember the warm up and the jogging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I wanted to actually. I'm going to jump a few questions because you had kind of gotten on this track. And uh, how long do you think that an athlete, an athlete like maybe college level, should be in the weight room? Like, how long should that session be? And then, what are some typical parts of a, like, I guess you would have say a modern strength and conditioning program that you think could often be done without? Well, I've I've trained athletes as, as little as ten minutes a day in the weight room. It's uh, in my own self late in my career, my Olympic lifting days were 15 minute workouts. Um, we have a program called the transformation program. You do something like the overhead squat, three sets of eight with a minute rest. And then you go after it in the front squat, three sets of eight with a minute rest. Well, that whole workout, well, if you could go back to back, which no one can do, takes about 10 minutes, but you will get all the hit from a hard workout. So eight to 10 minutes probably is about as little as you can do. And maybe you could even do it quicker. Like, for example, if there was a period that you're doing isometrics or, you know, the more you know, like the functional isometric contraction, uh, the way Bill March did it where, and you, like, for example, you as the coach went in and, and set all the weights beforehand, we could probably get you out of there in five, six minutes. So let's say under 10 is, is where an, the least an athlete could probably get out of the weight room. And then in the deep off season, you probably can sneak up on, you probably could do, if it's Olympic lifting or powerlifting movements uh, or a combination of which are the best really, you probably could sneak up to two hours with much of the time the person sitting down going, oh my God, that was hard. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, but most of the time, I, I don't, I agree with what we found out in the 80s, over 45 minutes is a waste. Yeah, oh, I love it. Uh, it reminds me, yeah. Of, yeah, it reminds me a little bit too of like kind of some of the more modern high school. Well, I shouldn't say modern, but more progressive high school. Uh, some of the the lower volume or that ideal is starting to go into high school sprint coaching rather than running the the like five four hundreds and all that and, and yeah, like Barry, Barry Ross's stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know of a good sprint coach who doesn't believe in quality, and I don't believe know a good strength coach who doesn't believe in quality. Quality is first. Quality of movement, uh, appropriate load. Uh, I mean, it's it's. There's nothing fancy about what we do. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I feel like the more like the more things in there too. I I like the idea of uh, like Jay Schrader and and putting like a maximal intent or a, a really purposeful intent in absolutely everything. And 
the more things that are in there, you got a million activation exercises and bar complexes and then all this auxiliary stuff. And it's hard to imagine the athletes. And I, I mean, I see it myself. The athletes can't really be intentful through all that stuff. But if you just have two exercises, well, sure. Like, <laughs> let's let's go. And I, I, that makes sense, too, for me, the way you had said it there. Right. And I don't think anything I'm saying uh, is revolutionary or anything. Um, I really don't. Um, but it's really hard to get this new generation of strength coaches to get away from, um, well, and the other thing too, that really is a real issue with them, uh, with some of the young coaches is that hypertrophy slash bodybuilding has become the really, the word I use is steno symbol, but it's the way you define weightlifting in 2018. And that's a bunch of nonsense. Um, most athletes don't need, in fact, hypertrophy might even get in the way of their training. But when you turn your back, your boys will be doing curls and skull crushers and bench, and your girls will be doing crunches, no matter how much work they've already done. Because hypertrophy and uh, I want to look like an athlete seems to be more important than actually being a good athlete. So, uh, you know, one of the things that gets you into a lot of trouble nowadays, uh, one thing I like to do at University of Texas is they give everybody that, you know, a roller and the lacrosse ball and all that stuff, but none of that stuff's allowed in the weight room. When you come in the weight room, you lift weights. And if you need to do tissue work, well, you do tissue work in your dorm room, not my weight room. If you need, if you need to spend time in the tub, that's great. There's no tubs in my weight room. And I think that's, and tubs are on your time. Uh, tissue work is on your time. If you need corrective work, that's your time. And I think that'll help a lot of coaches. You got to get that stuff out of the weight room because if I'm trying to do a max front squat and all my buddies are foam rolling and uh, doing, you know, act like you said, activation exercises, you know, they're almost undercutting what we're trying to do in the weight room. Because, you know, if the guy's up there, you know, he's, he's activating his glute and going, come on, dude, you'd make that lift. Ooh, ooh, I feel my glue. I think it underscores everything you're trying to do in the weight room. But I'm old school, so sorry. No, I, I, I love that. There's there's nothing worse than being in the middle of a tough workout and you know, there's like a foam roller. Some athlete like is sneaking off the side and doing foam like foam roller while you're trying to lift heavy. It just completely kills the vibe, I guess, if you call it that yeah. way. Yeah. Well, I never saw any of my heroes do any of that stuff. None of it. You know, no, no one I've ever seen who's been strong uh, does that stuff. No, I mean maybe now they do, but I can show you. Know, yeah, whatever. Okay, yeah, so, okay, yeah, move yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally get it. I, I, I couldn't agree more to be honest. Uh, okay, so uh, Easy Strength book that is has definitely changed. Is one of the first books I read that really changed. Um, just kind of it, a lot of things made sense, and then also helped me to really steer the direction that I was going. As I would think I was. Uh, I was on that ship where like the weight room was getting more and more and more every year just because like, oh, here's all these new cool things I can put in. Here's this stuff on social media. Yeah. And it was a book that almost slapped some sense into me. And I was like, OK, well, <laughs> and and so, so looking at that, I was uh, could you maybe quickly to just talk about the I mean, the philosophy of easy strength is definitely very simple, but a quick philosophy of the easy strength mentality. And then uh, since uh, largely a, a lot of track and field people listening, those folk, uh, how did you work though that mentality into your throws coaching? Well, the hardest thing for even your listeners to listen to. If I get stronger, will I throw far and run faster? 
Yes or no? Oh. Yes or no? <laughs> uh, depends. Uh, I would say. No. Yeah. Yes. The one thing I love about track and field, Otis Chandler, who later became the editor of the LA Times, when he was at Stanford, his coach forbade weightlifting because it would make you muscle bound. So he snuck away and lifted weights and broke, at the time, the longest standing world record ever in uh, until I think the long jump now is the record. But it was, and the, probably the discus too now, huh? Uh, but I think Fuchs had the world record and Chandler broke it. Once Chandler started lifting weights, if you're a shot putter, you had to lift weights. And if you're a discus thrower, it made sense because the discus throwers who lifted through far, the javelin, hammer, high jump, long jump, sprints, hurdles, and of course later with per, uh, Percy Cerruti, um, you know, the, the long distance. And if you don't lift weights and you're a track and field athlete, either you're just gifted, which God does to us. God does that. God drives me crazy with that. That's not fair, but God does it. There are people who are genetic freaks and can get away with it, but they're not going to reach the potential. So you told me you have to get stronger. So let's focus on a program that gets you stronger. I don't want to hear about your biceps. I don't want to hear about your six-pack abs. I don't want to hear about vascularity. You said you wanted to throw farther, and the way to get to throw farther is to be stronger. So why don't we focus? Bum, ba, ba. I feel like the Seinfeld dad. Ba, 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 ba. Why don't we do a program that gets you stronger? And I say that, and all you, no offense, but you young coaches, you look up and go, so you mean my micro period is, no! How about if you do the same lifts every day for a few months uh, with reasonable uh, reps and sets and watch the load go up? Because if the load goes up, by definition, you're stronger. And all easy strength is, is circling a few exercises and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for the next 40 days, the next 20 days, and I'm uh, the next three months, three days, whatever it is. And I'm going to get better at these lifts so that at the end of those three months, two months, I'm going to be stronger in these lifts. What I've discovered is basically it comes down to this. There's three verticals that work. The overhead press family, the pull-up family, and the deadlift family work. It's good to have a ballistic. I picked it up from Percy Sarity when he actually invented easy strength back in the 60s, 50s. So for our ballistic, we do swings or kettlebell snatches, very low numbers, and then the ab wheel. So an overhead press, a pull-up variation, a deadlift variation, swings or kettlebell snatches, ab wheel, walk out the door. And the workouts take about 15 minutes but I come back the next day and I do the same darn thing. And on day, in my case, on day 22, at age 46, I broke my lifetime best in the incline bench press with no spotter for a double. So I'm not, by the way, I'm not some little 14-year-old high school boy. When I say I break a personal record, you should start taking notes. I'm very strong. My best clean is 402. I've snatched 314. I'm strong. When I say a program works, yeah, it works. Okay. So that's the, one of the problems you have when we talk about this is that we've been so lied to. I have this little funny diagram of working out. Okay. Um, I'll just give it to you. Okay. So it's a, it's a graph. Okay. And the graph goes 
19, 1940s, 50s, 70s, 80s, 90s, aughts, and then teens, okay? And then just above it is knowledge of strength and conditioning. And that line is a straight line because I don't think we've increased our knowledge at all. Now, I'll make a small, I will allow, if the line starts at 100 units, I will allow two, 2018 to be 103 units. But I'm not going much higher than that. But then I've got this other line that goes through it, and it goes, it swooshes straight up uh, at, a, at a bit like a, in, in uh, like cost of benefit, whatever, whatever line you want. And up until 1975, it was back rooms, dark gyms, underground lifting. After 1975, the numbers above, and it's hucksters and gurus, okay? And we are so used to hucksters and gurus right now that when someone says, if you do two sets of five in the lift for 40 days, you'll get stronger, you, you have a thousand objections. It's like the poor people who work on the fat loss side. Fat loss happens in the kitchen, right? Right? Yeah. Fat loss happens in the kitchen. Everybody knows that. It's calories in, calories out. But you know what? How much money are you going to make on selling people sleep and water and fasting? How much money can you make on that? Even people who sell books on fasting now do that, uh, whatever, multi-level marketing, affiliate programs. They'll say, well, I always thought that you know fasting was the answer to all questions, but this miracle thing, oh, come on. You can't make much money arguing sleep, water, fasting, and vegetables, right? And in our in our system of strength and conditioning, we are just as bad, man. We are just as bad. Uh, it's got it's got to be a machine, you know. You you know you you work at the university, or you know you're going to bring this recruit in, and so you have to do something that's really top end. Otherwise, this recruit will go to Stanford or or Washington. So we've got to, oh, we have the secret pro and there are no secrets. It's like when I, it's like when I read about, I just bought that Anthony Robbins uh, tape on investment and, and making money. And this one guy he has reading says something, if you would have bought stocks when they're at their lowest and sold them when they were at their highest, look at all the money you would have made. Yeah, really? Really? Yeah, so if I'd have bought houses when they were really, really cheap, and then sold them when they were really, really expensive, I'd have made a lot of money. How, how do these people sleep at night? You know, so am I going too far? So I'll, I'll uh, no, you're, you're good. I actually, I, I always like rabbit trails into general life. Uh, the more, I don't know, the more people tie life and training together, the more things always make sense. It's easier to, it's easier for things to hit home too. The more like, it's almost like, like this is true here. This is true here. This is true here. Yeah. Um, no, well, I, like I, call, I call them the four F's fitness, finance, food, and relationships. All the lessons you learn in any of those areas are true. No matter where coach Mon, little and often over the long haul, save a little bit all the time. You'll be okay. Long-term tell your wife, you love her every single day. As often as you can, good things will happen long-term. Uh, you eat quality food, uh, eat, eat a lot of vegetables and drink water, get some sleep over 20 years. You'll be pretty good. Yeah. I like, um, I'm always thinking too of ways that like, 
um, athletics can be a teaching tool, right? And just being able to combine that with the four Fs or as part of the four Fs, and uh, I, yeah. I, that's good stuff. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's what I do. I mean, that's, that's how I, I, I live my life thinking about that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, I man, I really like what you said about the the knowledge um, from like the 1950s or 60s and and throughout in terms of how much people really know about lifting weights. And uh, I have another question that's related to that that oh sure that'll get to. Um, but uh, I I just think it's especially too like just the marketing, at least the current stuff with the marketing of things. I I think about this a lot these days is like if you want to get faster you have to go out and sprint, but yet everyone wants to, you know, buy the fancy sprint drill, ace, you know, sprint drill, cool looking rhythm DVD. It's like, yeah. it's like, yeah. or there's a product attached to it, like bands you put between your knees or something. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's, it almost like that stuff steals people's attention away from uh, not only just actually going out and sprinting, but also like having a more uh, in tuned awareness to what it's like to just sprint and not have a band around well, your knees or something, you know, something like that. I went to a workshop and this person was teaching us all how to sprint. And it's the same stuff I learned in 1971 at Southwood Junior High School. The exact, I mean, the drills might be slightly better, but it was the same drills. There's, it's 1971. There are no, we, because track and field is dying in America, as is swimming, by the way. Well, and it's, well, maybe not as much. Well, it actually is. Uh, but track and field is dying because it's a sport that gets measured. And so, you know, you're, you've got this group of adults that you're teaching stuff they should have picked up in high school or junior high. Yeah, okay, enough of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like that, though. I mean, Raina, Raider Ryder, I, I did an interview with him. Track coach has been around for a while. And, like, everyone, there's, like, these drills people just always be posting. And, and there was one that's been popular the last few years. And he was like, you know, people were doing that back in the 70s, but nobody knows that. Like, someone has always figured it out a long time before. Oh, when all those books on plyometric came out in the early 80s, and I remember reading in 1971 in the track and field uh, Om uh, Omnibook by J.K. Doherty about Pat Masdorf doing what he called depth jumps. And all of a sudden they got, well, this is from what, they've been... Uh, in the late 60s, because Fosbury takes over, probably 67, 68 is Masdorf. So this is this brand new thing you're doing that's from 1965. Uh, Fred Wilt came up with the name Plyometrics, and yet you go to these poor high school uh, volleyball girls, and they've completely bastardized Plyometrics. you got a girl playing volleyball year-round, and you're having to do plyos. What for? Her sport is jumping. Mm -hmm. Her life is jumping. What she needs is a day off or, you know, some lifting or something, not plyos. Yeah. yeah I, I, it makes me sick. It does. It really bothers me. I, I would say it makes me angry, but I'm too kind of a person. Yeah. Another thing that's definitely been diluted down the line, long a long way from just the simple depth jump, you know, and, and related exercises. Oh, and here's another one. A lot of these strength coaches now are trying to become uh, – cardio and endurance experts and I'll, and I'll read their stuff and it's like why don't you at least go back i mean just sit down with a underpaid high school track coach at any high school here in utah and spend give them a hundred bucks sit down with them for for an hour and talk about endurance training before you start quoting these studies why don't you find somebody who's actually made it happen you know oh that's 
It's yeah. a tough one for me. All oh, right on. No, it definitely living in the practice, the practice and the results um, before uh, before throwing out uh, some of the conflicting studies with undertrained yeah. athletes and undertrained physical education students at so and so college. Yeah, uh, Stone Stone College freshman. Yeah, my God, they improved. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. wow. <laughs> Back to you were talking about with with your throws program, easy strength. Uh, what you were talking about doing something similar every day or the same thing every day. Uh, makes me think a lot about uh, Bonderchuk's training ideals. And uh, how long would you, like doing something, or how would like a throws uh, practice week kind of break down for you? And when did, when would you switch the program? How did you go through that? Okay, so if you want more information, just go to my website. and uh, I would type in the year 1996, and I'll share with you everything. But we're, we're now into about a two-hour conversation right there. But on my website, I've got a free book on the discus called A Contrarian Approach to the Discus. And I explain everything there on how I do things, okay? One of the things, well, see, okay, there's two ways you can coach. Um, there's two ways you can do it, okay? One is that you can make, uh, and this is fine, this is, this is the tradition of throwing a bit, is that we have a weight room period of our workout and then we have a throws period of our workout and we separate them. I don't mind that at all. If it's, I'm, I think I'm good enough to be able to pull that off where we have a, uh, so maybe right, right after you get out of school, I'm working with a high school kid, for example, um, we meet in the weight room and in the weight room we do, um, the workout of the day. And then after that we go out and throw. Okay. Uh, generally I either do when I'm working with throwers, that way, I either have uh, one exercise a day or, or two exercises a day. Uh, so very minimal approach. Usually the Olympic lifts and squats, okay? Uh, that's kind of the basics, okay? But if, if I'm in a setting and I like, I actually like this better, and I, where I don't necessarily have, like if I don't have a kid who's, if I don't have a single person who's going to go on to the next level, what I'm about to say is better. It comes from Peter Sheen's uh, mixed training from the 60s. But what we'll do is we'll have like a circuit, you know, old-fashioned circuit, nothing fancy. You know, it's, you know, circuit training. So uh, you will be doing you're in, uh, you'll be doing full turns, uh, throwing power balls against the wall, which is kind of tiring. Uh, so the next drill, you'll practice your technique with broomsticks or PVC. The next the the next circuit is farmer walks. Uh, the next circuit will be uh, some kind of throw for height or something like that with a weight or something simple. And then the other one will be like another barbell exercise, like maybe a kettlebell swing or an overhead squat. And then every few minutes we'll rotate. Usually we rotate when the person in the farmer walk is tired. And what you're doing there is you're doing lifting and throwing at the same time. Um, I would circle three huge leaps in my career uh, that really got – it's when I realized late, late in my career. My best year as a discus thrower was when I was age 47, which is kind of weird to say. That was, that's when I threw the farthest. 47. How old are you now, Joe? 34. Okay. So, so I got 13, 13 more years. That's <laughs> on my goal. 13 years. years from now, you'll be at your peak. And what, what I did in those years, that's when I realized – that's when I started doing easy strength to get strong. That's when I added all the uh, loaded carries. And that's when I brought a kettlebell 
out to my throwing sessions. So I would do, you know, I would do say 10, 15 throws and then I do a kettlebell lift of some kind. Nothing crazy. I mean, not 10,000 swings, but 20 swings, not a hundred of this, but some cleaning presses, you know, uh, a couple of goblet squats. And I would mix my throwing with lifting. And boy, I tell you, talk about efficiency. Um, some movement like some movements like kettlebell windmills really give you an idea about uh, give you the assessment of your left to right symmetry. The swings just reinforce the explosion. So those would be the three things that changed my career. Um, I know that sometimes I, if you read my work, I tend to shotgun things a little bit, and I can see why people get confused. I have no problem with that, but I'm also looking at working with this athlete for, you know three to five to eight years okay uh sometimes people say to me hey give me a program for a thrower well how long do you have six weeks okay here's your program throw throw <laughs> throw <laughs> i got a high jumper how long do you have three weeks jump you know because you don't have there is no time for lifting to impact that thrower but if i have you for five years man you're gonna learn a lot of different stuff okay is that making sense to you you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I, I like uh, even going back to that circuit you mentioned doing before you go out and throw. I, I like the idea of, uh, I think Jerome Simeon, a French strength coach, had mentioned this, like the idea of uh, things you're doing solving some part of the movement problem or the movement puzzle the athlete's going to go through. And I like that you guys circuited that and then with the loaded carries beforehand. I, I don't know if I'd read that before of you doing that, but well, that's interesting to me. Go to danjohn.net, and there's a free book in there called A Contrarian Approach to the Discus Throw, and it's all mapped out and lined up for you, okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. It sounds all, like an oh, awesome sure. read. Oh, yeah. sure, uh, yeah. And yeah, then the kettlebells as well. I, I, I had read that, and that was something that I thought was was really interesting. And I think yeah. uh, it's something like, well, it's almost like I always wanted to do it, you know? Like, oh, I should have done that when I was coaching Javelin. And uh, Yeah, I had a, when I was a younger coach, I had a white pickup truck, and I would throw – a barbell, uh, a couple 25s. Uh, you guys are pounds okay with this audience, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. E either way, I think hopefully we can figure it out. Okay. So, you know, so I would have the – we'd have the ability out there to uh, 95, uh, 115, and 165. So we had 25-pound plates, 35-pound plates, and the bar. So we had – we could go the bar, 45, 95. 115 or 165 so sometimes i'd have athletes who were clean and front squatting out there 165 and sometimes you'd have a kid just doing some quick power snatches with 95 the upside of the kettlebell is is i don't need a pickup truck to bring it out you know i can just we all just carry one out it's no big deal you know in fact that's actually a good little warm-up too. suitcase carry the weight out you know yeah oh yeah i was gonna say yeah uh, going along with the loaded carries i right I I like how simple just the idea of bringing a barbell to the track is, or, or I've heard you mention this before somewhere else, but the idea of when this is all you have, you have to be a little more creative or, or focused. It's like, okay, this is all I have. And, and, and you're there like on the, there's like that vibe of being where your sport is too. Yeah. Well, don't forget the school that I was most successful at. We didn't have a field to throw on. We didn't have a ring or a field to throw on, but I had people from all over the world world some very famous track coaches coming to this little Catholic high school here in Utah 
to see what we were doing that was so good. And what they often said was, you know, I'm spoiled by the fact that my athletes are choosing after a workout, whether the hot tub, sauna, ice pool, or, you know, they have like 12 different re uh, recovery modalities they can do. And your kids just freaking work. Oh, yeah. So we got, how did we get better? Because we didn't have any modalities. We had, <laughs> your recovery was going home and eating dinner, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the power of not having a choice. It's just like, you better get strong and throw far or get better. And you don't, you can't just go off into a million different directions. Oh, it's, it's, you know, I got to tell you, 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 there have been so many times in my career, my good friend Bill Witt from Pennsylvania has said the same thing. You're actually, you, you don't think it at first, but you're lucky long term when you don't have all the bells and whistles. Because what you have to do is focus. Listen, you got to throw farther, okay? Uh, you know, and then I was, you know, the old wish sandwich from the Blues Brothers. You know, we can wish sandwich this thing all day long. You know, that's two pieces of bread, and you wish you had some meat. <laughs> well, we don't have any meat, so how we can get around this? And after a while, man, it becomes so exciting because you've come up with this thing. You 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 picked up a broomstick, or you. I don't know, you found you found this cone, a ripped up cone, and you turn that cone into a device that makes your throwers throw farther. And a, a rock. I transformed a kid with a rock one time. You know, you just you know it's marvelous, I think, yeah. I man, that is that is such awesome uh, just it just a general idea, concept, a story. I, it makes me think about, I forget what book I read this in, but it was the idea of, uh, I think it was Predictably Irrational by Dan, I, uh, I can't remember his last name, but sure. it, it was like, if you own something, it becomes more valuable to you in your mind. Like, So it's like, if you create something, if I oh. had to create this way to train, I have more ownership of it. It's like uh, uh, more value to huh. me. You know, it's funny, I, I, just something this simple, I was doing this workshop and this football coach came up to me afterwards. He goes, you know, I like this idea of bag carries and all that and this anaconda strength, but I mean, sh what should I do for equipment? And I said, can't you just have your athletes just pick each other up and walk? And he looked at me like, oh, yeah, because that's what it is. All bag carries are is grabbing your butt. It's, it's why you get so strong when you wrestle. You pick up somebody who weighs 165 pounds for two hours, and at the end of a couple of months, you're oddly strong. You know, pick up your teammate, walk 10 yards, have him pick you, pick you up, walk 10 yards. You know, do that a thousand times. I bet you're pretty strong after a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that loaded carries. Uh, and going back to that, too, you, you said that was an important part of that, that program when you threw— Turning point. Oh, yeah, the, the turning point. So how was that— is that something you were, you, uh, how did that find its way into your program? Well, I had been doing uh, farmer walks for a while, but I had the great, uh, I had the great honor to have my left wrist broken into about eight pieces at a weightlifting meet when, uh, when I did something stupid. So if you ever look at the cover of my book, Never Let Go, you see that I'm in, I'm in gloves because I can't use my left hand. I couldn't make a fist with my left hand. So for me to keep training, but I could still throw the discus because my, my right hand was fine, thankfully. So I started doing these bag carries, and then pretty soon I put a 
heavy backpack on and do bag carries. And then, cause you know, you don't need to grip a bag. You just squeeze it like an anaconda. And then I put a sled on. I think, in fact, I think that's the cover of never let go. Right. Uh, me in a snowstorm carrying a bag with a sled or something like that. But that's what I did. I did it cause I couldn't Olympic lift. I could squat, but I had to stick the one arm out so I could squat and I could do bag carries. And the weirdest thing, within a few months, I start throwing as far as I ever had, and then pretty soon even farther. And people kept asking me, oh, Dan, you finally started taking anabolics. <laughs> no. And then I'd tell them what I'm doing. They're like, nah, that's not it. No, 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 it is it. No, that can't be right. No one else is doing that. Well, no one else lifted weights until, you know, Otis Chandler and those guys. Yeah, I just... I, I think the biggest gap most people I work with is lack of loaded carries. And I'm almost to the point in saying that loaded carries should be the foundation of strength training. It should be the first thing we teach. And then the second thing is to differentiate between the, the, the hinge and the squat. And then that's it. Those two steps. The athletes will figure out everything. They'll just trust me. They'll figure out how to bench press. They'll figure out how to, do curls. You don't need to teach any of that, but you need to, you need to make them do loaded carries, teach them, teach them appropriate squatting, teach them appropriate hinging. And you're a great strength coach. Yeah. I, I think when it comes to simplicity, uh, a loaded, it really doesn't get any simpler than, than gait walking and then adding some weight to it and then, you know, a tension component. Uh, and I, I think that's such a cool story with uh, that and leading to a personal best. Yeah. And again, I look back on those years and it's like, uh, I mean, there's more to the story, obviously. I mean, there's, you know, certainly uh, being married, having kids, my wife on the road, uh, all those little steps influenced uh, my success then. It's weird to say that working two full-time jobs with my wife on the road and two daughters, I had to, you know, cook all the meals for two daughters, do all the cleaning and all that actually made me a better discus store because it taught me the value of time. You know, those poor college kids who have, they say, is it 20 hours a week they're allowed to lift or something like that? Yeah, practice, so they just, yeah. Yeah, well, if they're allowed an hour a week, I think they'd be stronger. Because when you have, you know, uh, Parkinson's Law, you know, mm -hmm. uh, work always expand, expands to the amount of time given. So if you give an athlete 20 hours, they'll work. 20 hours and the most of it will be foam rolling and lacrosse ball stuff. But if I told if you gave me an athlete, okay, so it's going to be 20 hour workouts a week. Okay. But they have to do a front squat on the minute, every minute for those 20 hours. What would happen at the end of one week? Well, the person would never walk again, but they'd be exhausted. They couldn't do it. You know, they couldn't do it. And so, but they can do, you know, foam roll and bungee stuff and all that silly stuff we do for the shoulder, you know, that crap we do for the shoulders. and uh, <laughs> But real work, they can't do it, you know? Yeah, no, I, 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 Parkinson's Law, too, that's something that I've thought about a lot. And even just the idea of when writing workouts, like, okay, if I only have 15 minutes to train this group, what will we do? Uh, and, and using and whatever that as a answer there point. is, is what they should do. Yeah, I, I think it's so easy to carry get carried away, especially too when 
it, the, the strength and conditioning field has transformed to the point where, I mean, there was no full-time strength coaches really in the 60s or 70s. And it's like, it's like when it's your job, it's like, okay, it's my job. I have an hour and, and it's like, okay, I'm going to fill this hour. And, but the, I think uh, I found when I was coaching, when I was coaching track and field as an actual track coach, my weightlifting workouts for my group was like 20 minutes, you know, after practice, 20, 25 minutes. And then when I yeah. became my full-time yeah. job, they were much longer because it was my job. You know, it's uh, it's interesting how that changes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, in 1979, Ralph Mullen asked me to be, you know, take care of the weight room for him. And I, I think sometimes I might have been the first full-time strength coach for track and field of America. I mean, full-time. That's That was my job. And uh, I look back now and I didn't – it wasn't perfect, but – you know, there was nobody else doing that at the time. Most coaches was just saying, go, go to the weight room and lift. And here's the funny thing about track and field. Your throwers, well, your athletes might be a lot better off if you just say to them, go lift, than some of the nonsense that I see we do now, you know, because the athletes will figure it out. Uh, I'm When I do these exercises, for a high jumper, when I do curls and skull crushers and lat pulldowns, all of a sudden, I notice I don't jump as high. But when I do snatches and jumping squats, huh, I suddenly jump higher. You know, when I put on 40 pounds of mass as a high jumper, I don't seem to jump as high. Huh. You know, you'll figure it out if you're competitive. Yeah. I mean, that was my story. That was the story of my life. I didn't have a strength coach until, I mean, my I didn't have one in high school. And then in college, our coach gave us a workout, which I at some point I finally complied and did, but I always had my own flavors in there. But I was thinking back to high school, like I feel like if I would have had a full-time strength coach having me do, you know, 60 minute workouts three times a week, I honestly don't think I would have jumped as high or ran as fast in high school where I was just like going down to my basement and just doing some heavy, you know, step ups on a 12 inch cinder block yeah. and you know, maybe some sumo deadlifts and then go upstairs and go to bed. You know, I, it was just so simple back then, but I, I mean, I was jump, I, didn't really gain a ton by doing hour long workouts or slowly adding more and more lifts just because like, well, I guess it might as well add more and more lifts. It, I was very effective back in the day and I always, that always sticks with me. Yeah. I, uh, and you know, I did a lot of stupid stuff when I was coming up. I really did. But the one thing is that when it's a numbers game, like track and field swimming and maybe a few others, you learn soon, this ain't working, you know? Um, good stuff. Sorry. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, it's, I, I'm agreeing with you. Yes. I, 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 I just, I love the anecdotes. I, I, and so when you were saying too, like you, you broke your wrist and you had to do loaded carries as a huge portion of your workout. And uh -huh. this brings me to, I was thinking in the book, easy strength, another uh, piece that was one of the, just the huge standout things to me was the idea of same, but different. And I remember like Tommy Kono oh. going from weightlifting to bodybuilding or, the idea of hurting yourself and then doing something else and setting a PR. So could you expand on that and that, that process? Well, there's an intelligent way to do same but different, or there's my way. Which way do you want to hear? <laughs> uh, well, you described, uh, I think you described the, the break your wrist way, uh, but I'll take either. Yeah. I'll take whatever you got. Well, yeah, usually I use surgeries to figure out to ease <laughs> up, but that's not exactly the way most people do it. Same but different is very simple. Um, and depending on, uh, I, I would suggest it might take a year to figure out what's best for an athlete, but generally I think you have about six weeks. Uh, the 40 day program puts you to two months, but you're, since you're only doing such basic work, it, it seems to be okay. 
But really, if you have a, let's see, let's actually shrink it down because actually it'd be probably more like two weeks for most people, is at the end of a two-week block, you sit back and you say, how have we made progress here? And if you're going to shift, like for example, a shot putter, now the way I work with shot putters is we absolutely change things every two weeks. But you go from bench press to incline bench press and then overhead press after that. And if you have the facility, decline press after that. So that's uh, two, four, six, eight weeks, right? Because two-week blocks. And then when you come back to the bench press, you don't have all those crazy shoulder issues you normally have. But the athlete is oddly stronger after that because the same but different, you've been doing the exact same thing basically, but enough different that you're you're not beating up any joint at one angle and the refreshness. You know, say you get your bench up to 405 for three. When you shift back to inclines on that following Monday, you might not know what your best incline is. So you're, so you have no expectation. Um, if I, I wrote an article one time where I, I think I had, uh, God, I think I had 12 months of two, every two weeks changing just slightly. So for example, if you don't, if, if you'll just go with me on this, uh, maybe you start off two weeks with the uh, snatch grip, high, high, high hang snatch, two weeks of the hang snatch, two weeks from the floor, and then two weeks clean grip snatch from the high, high hang, two weeks uh, from the knees, uh, hang snatch, clean grip, and then two weeks from the floor, clean grip snatch. Then two weeks from the high, high hang, power clean, two weeks from the hang, two weeks from the floor, power clean. Each one of those exercises was kind of the same thing, but with enough variation so that every time you started this new exercise, there was this little bit of a learning curve, a little bit of linear periodization again, and just enough that you had no expectations of the, the first maybe three or four workouts. And by the time you finally figured it out, you had a subtle shift that you had to relearn. So that's the same but different. Uh, in the squat world, you don't have as many options. You know, back squat, front squat, zercher, overhead squat, maybe goblet squat would be, that's kind of a light load there. Maybe variations of a jump squat or something like that. But there you go, just right there. That's, that's 12 weeks right there with those six exercises. And you might say, well, what you're doing then is you're squatting, but there's no you don't have any mental or emotional buy-in on the numbers you're using for the first few workouts. And then, boom, now you own it. You know, now, and again, this would be a multi-year kind of person. Uh, ideally, you have good records. Uh, but, you know, I even I even broke it out one time of, you know, this wouldn't be for sprinters, but it, instead of sprinting for throwers, maybe for two weeks you do high, you know, the high knee stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe two weeks, those, you know, butt kickers. Do you know, I don't know what else to call butt kickers, but butt kickers. Yeah, no, same. <laughs> maybe, okay. maybe tail kickers, uh, but yeah. <laughs> maybe two weeks of hurdle walkovers, and then maybe two weeks of stadium steps, and then maybe two weeks of hill sprints. Now, you've just had this thrower do, I don't know, I think that was, I don't know if that was five or six exits, that doesn't matter. But you just had that athlete do almost, what, two to three months of stuff, and not one time did you ever 
get them injured because you're not going to get injured doing high knees, but you're not going to pull a hammy doing high knees or butt kickers or hurdle walkovers. And yet the athletes doing all those things that you want out of sprinting. Yeah. Yeah. So just, uh, like subtle shifts every two weeks. I think I've seen, uh, something like that. in like, uh, uh, extending, uh, one of those long bonder chuck cycles, like those eight to 10 weekers where it's similar when it's a peaking phase, it's, it's more like that where, or it could be more like that where you just it, shuffle it, things every two weeks. I, I, oh boy. I want to say it was a track and field quarterly review, but it might've been someplace else where bonder chuck, when he first came over here was sharing these, I would say they're imaginary programs, you know, because you never actually fall. But he had a discus program where he changed exercises every two weeks, and I believe it was almost two years. I got it Xerox somewhere in the house. Oh wow! Uh, but, would definitely but, like uh, to see that. That'd be for the one for the library for sure. Yeah. So you know, but you, you don't need to. You can just reinvent the wheel yourself. You know, uh, for example, you could easily do it in the loaded carry family. You know, suitcase carry. Um, you maybe, oh, yeah, that's not a good one to start. Well, yeah, let's go farmer walk for two weeks, two weeks of sled pulls, two weeks of heavy backpack, and then two weeks of heavy backpack with sled, two, uh, two weeks of farmer walks with sled, two weeks of farmer walks with backpack with sled. Boom, there you go. And you can just keep running like it, like just keep going that direction, you know, with these, this, this, these thoughts, just, um, you know, push-ups for two weeks, uh, jumping push-ups for two weeks, bench press for two weeks, incline bench press for two weeks, overhead two weeks, decline two weeks, push jerks for two weeks, uh, split jerks for two weeks. And that's boy, that's not bad for a shot putter. Oh yeah. You know, you know. Uh, and folks, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm rambling. I don't mean to, um, but sometimes when I get on a roll, I tend to want to make sure everyone in the universe understands exactly what i mean and that's a fault no that, that's what it's all about in these podcasts though when um when you guys get on a roll i just sit back and listen so i i definitely appreciate that i, I think it's good stuff i i, I think we only got time for maybe a couple more uh questions sure. dan i and what i wanted to ask you about is you i know you've mentioned uh, like one by ten or one set of ten it's kind of a tonic workout maybe a little more of a recovery yeah. workout idea uh, but what's your general advice and thoughts on uh, things higher than five reps, such as I know like the one by 20 system is pretty popular these days. Uh, like high rep, high rep type uh, training systems. What's your take? Wait, who would do one set of 20 outside of squats? That's, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. But uh, when you get over five, in fact, man, I tell you, when you get over three in the barbell movements, uh, you better know what you're doing. Um, uh Let's separate it because you asked several questions right there. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, sorry about okay. that. Yeah, first, just anything over over five, yeah. I, I got, okay, first is the tonic workout idea. I always use – I'm a big believer in – we used to call it like the word gin and tonic. The word tonic workout means refresher. And I think one of the big mistakes I see in most people's programs is they have no tonic workouts. Taking a day off is good. It has its value. But going into the weight room or going to the track or the pool and doing the movements, we used to call it movement massage. So you're going to do the same movements you always do, but with a really light load and do a set of 10 and just, you want to walk out the door. It's kind of like you, this, none of this is true. Movement massage, that's not true. Uh, 
flushing the muscles. That's not really what happens. But you'll know it when you see it, when you do it on tonic workouts, is instead of taking the day off, you go in and you do the movements. Very light, very easy reps. You put them down and you leave. You feel great. But what it does is it rebounds yourself later on. I believe that probably one out of five workouts should be tonic. That's probably much higher than most people think. But I'm a big believer that the tonic workout is the most misunderstood and least appreciative training. And then now you asked about more than five reps on barbell work. If it's the Olympic lifts, I don't agree with you at all. If you're born to squat, you certainly can do more than five reps. If you're not born to squat, I would suggest never doing less than 10 reps mm -hmm. in the squat. Okay, what? Okay, I just said a very odd thing. If your hips are, make you a good squatter, you can squat and use the squat to build your work capacity, okay? If your hips aren't built for squatting, like mine, uh, as I discovered way too late in my life, <laughs> um, then I should never go... <sighs> I should always be, I should always stick with 10 reps in a workout, especially in the back squat. So you never going to load them up so that you start to break as I, you know, I'm facing some more surgeries uh, in my hips. Uh, I, you know, you break your hips, you know, doing all this excessive load with heavy weights. So with the squat, that'd be the asterisk one. That would be the one that's a little different. You could even argue more reps on the bench press, but now you're starting to slide over into hypertrophy work. And I don't work with many athletes besides American football players who really need it. But I'm not a big fan of this. I've never heard of one set of 20 as a system. Well, I guess back in the day, Hack and Schmidt and those guys did all that. But remember, they didn't have uh, the kind of barbells and dumbbells that we have. So one of the reasons they went so high on reps is because the jumps were so massive back in the day. When, uh, that's one thing I like. I don't like uh, – it's funny. I don't like what we've done with kettlebells. But when kettlebells first came out, there were three, a 16, a 24, and a 32. So if you could press the 24, good for you. But to jump to the 32, it might take you lots and lots of drills with the 32, not lifting it, but practicing it. Lots of extra time with the 24, figuring things out. I like that because it reminds me of the great tradition in weightlifting where, you know, it's, I've been to gyms that had no 10, tens, fives, or two and a halves because they broke. So when you were doing bench press, you had your choices were 45s, 35s, 25s. And that's great when you're first lifting. But then you get to like after 185, it's okay, no problem. It's 185, you jump to 205, jump to 225. Well, what's the jump after that? Well, you throw 250s on the outside to go 235. Well, what's the jump after that? Well, let's see. Uh, and I love that because without all those choices, to jump from when it was, I, uh, uh, two, you, you had to jump from 235 to 255 on your bench or your squat or whatever. So you really had to have 235, 225 dialed in uh, unlike someone who can micro load up to it. And I, I like that. So you might be doing a set of 12 at uh, 205 to prepare yourself for a 255 bench press. I, I like that set of 20 with 185. But generally, I don't see a lot of value in it, okay? 
You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, uh, what you just said there, I, I think someone should start a gym chain. It'd be like the complete opposite of Planet Fitness in every way, shape, and form. But yeah. there's only 45s and 25s, and it's just bars and squat racks and maybe a bench here and there. <laughs> you have to figure it out. I probably wouldn't sure. do sell very well marketing-wise, but I think it'd be an awesome place to train. Yeah. Well, it's called my house for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Uh, this next uh, this next question is kind of in that vein a little bit. It's the last one I got for you, but I've and you you said this so earlier, like the knowledge in strength and conditioning, despite everything you know, we kind of do the knowledge really not going up that much. And in the sense of you know, reading Easy Strength, like I'm continually amazed by all these programs and anecdotes you're talking about. Some lifter from the '60s did this and some guy from the 70s did this and they they boosted their lift this much and i'm like wow like that's really impressive and i think about all the hours that person spent lifting probably by themselves maybe with the training log Mm -hmm. thinking about what they were doing and anyways uh, i was just thinking i was just going to ask do you think that uh like the internet and social media and have had a like a real negative impact on how people process learning in the industry and then what advice might you have to people who are to young coaches who are trying to learn and get better well, if you ever come over and visit me and spend some time with training with me, one of the things I'm going to have you do is I'm going to take you down to my archives. I'm going to show you strength and health. I'm going to show you all the books I have. I'm going to show you the journals. And I'm going to show you the journey that you should take as a strength coach. Um, I had a great athlete years ago, Nick Gibson, uh, graduated in 1991. What year did you graduate from high school? 2002. Okay, so I'd have taught you all four years in high school. <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, so Nick graduated high school in 1991 and I loved the kid, just loved him, but he never threw as far as he should have. And I, I tell this story to people sometimes, they go, why do you keep going back to it? I go, cause I finally figured out what he was doing wrong in the discus two years after he graduated. And the athletes I worked with after him are markedly better throwers because he, the error he had coming out of the back of the ring, I'll never make that mistake again. And one of the things that I think what happens now is if I'm coaching someone, I can go online, you know, whatever social media I use and say, I'm having a problem with Nick or Joel or Bobby and and I might get some really good advice that might fix it. But I might forget that advice because the pain I went through knowing I could have done a better job with this kid. So that's kind of part one, if you don't mind. Part two is I've always been a believer, and most people I know that if who are good, is that if I follow and do exactly what you do, if I have better DNA, I'll be better than you. If my DNA is worse than you, I'll be worse than you. So it's a crapshoot when I do everything that you did, right? So I'm going to do a lot of what you do and then trying to find those areas you forgot, you missed, you skipped. And for example, I'll tell you, loaded carries. Loaded carries, okay? That's mine. There you go. There's my great gap. And so, and when you go back to my loaded carry story, why did I do loaded carries? Because I blew my wrist apart. So yes, it is trial and error. Some of it's intuition. Some of it's... (laughs) Uh, what I tell people sometimes, no other damn choice. Um, you know, we talk about it as when we're coaching American football. 
Um, you know, you if you have coming into a playoff game and you lose your starting tackle, uh, you still have, even though he's hurt, somebody else has to be there. And you might look at the kid behind him and go, oh, my God. But it doesn't matter. That's what you do. And then you, you, you scheme, you think, you plan, you hide everything you can because you're going to try to win that game, win more, keep going to the playoffs. So to me, uh, that's the vision I kind of have is that I'm always trying to scheme and plan and move people around, get a little better. Uh, so getting, getting better sometimes does mean doing less. Getting better sometimes does mean doing more. I, I have a almost 400-page book that wasn't any good. Now, we, we carved out the good parts and made three books out of those. They're in three other books. But I worked for years on this thing that wasn't any good. But I had the courage, and so did some other people say, this isn't right. So you go back from the beginning, you rework it. And that's just what you do. And I know it's hard for, you know, you want my magic formula for improving throwers, throw. My formula for improving hurdlers, hurdle. You know, lift. You want to get stronger, lift. You're tired, sleep. You're hungry, eat, you know. And we joke about it all the time in the gym. That's all true. And so there's two sides of it. The answers are always going to be pretty obvious. But on the other hand, the process that gets that obvious answer to work might take some might take take some time in the sun, you know. And the other thing, here's the lesson I learned in teaching. I think my second year, every spring, write down all the stupid things you did on August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, and April. Don't worry about May. And vow not to be that stupid in the future. Like, for example, if you if you want term papers on the last day of a semester, you're too stupid to be sitting next to me. Go away. Go. You're hurting. You're hurting my brain. Okay. Uh, if you know when you're a coach, if you don't have a coaching journal of some kind where you can look at your mistakes, and here's the funny thing, it might take you seven, eight, nine. 10 years and a lot of tears and sit down with the athlete who's now 43 years old, sheriff and uh, down in St. George County. And you say to him, my God, I'm so sorry. All it was, was this. And they look at you and they say, well, I, I'm glad you told me that, but I forgot all about it. Yeah. I know you forgot about it, but I don't. And just this kid's success, this kid's success, this kid's success is all due to you. And you should know that. You change lives. And the reason I, I can tell that to adults is because I take notes. And I, and I, <laughs> the word passion gets thrown around a lot. It comes from the root passios, which means to suffer. And whenever you forget suffering, you don't understand coaching. Coaching is suffering. Okay. And when you could have done a better job, you might just suffer a little bit inside knowing we could have done better so it is trial and error sometimes it's intuition oh isn't that nice when it is because that's the easiest way and sometimes it's looking over the same problem 
enough times, enough years, and suddenly just going, oh, it was always there right in front of me. If you don't know this well enough, there's a story called, uh, I don't know if you know the story of Sir Parsifal. I don't think I the do. Fish, the Fisher King. So uh, I don't uh, I don't want to go too much depth, but the hardest lesson I've learned in my life is the same thing Sir Parsifal. Sir Parsifal basically loses the Holy Grail and then spends years trying to refind it, okay? And the problem Parsifal discovers right at the end, it was always right there. It was always right there. And I tell my athletes, you know, you'll be looking for, many of you look for love your whole life, and it was right there. You'll look for success, and you realize you always were successful. You look for, ha you search for happiness, and it was always right there. And sometimes as a coach, and it's the hardest lesson I ever learned, is that the answer was literally right there, and I missed it. Loaded carries were right there. Easy strength. I had read Percy's work. I knew about it. It was right there. It's not sexy enough. It's not groovy enough. But it was right there. And that cute girl that sat next to you in high school who idolized you and would have done anything for you, and you ignored her because you wanted to, she was happiness was right there. Hardest lesson I've learned in my life. Yeah, that's uh, that's gold, man. I mean, it's just uh, it just puts so many uh, I think so many things that so many people can use and think about in hopefully a new way, especially with the busyness that that is today's culture. So I, I think that's good stuff. Thank you. Okay. All right, Dan. Well, hey, that's that's all the time I got for today. But <clears throat> okay. I just want to sincerely thank you for your time, uh, and it's just it was really good after learning, reading so much of your work over the years to sit down and chat with you. So really appreciate and, it. And make sure your listeners, uh, danjohn.net, right? And if they have questions, uh, dan at danjohn.net, and I'll be ha happy to answer, okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for uh, mentioning that as well. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Dan. Hey, we'll talk soon. I'm, I got about 900 phone calls been rolling in here, so my best to you, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. We enjoy your listenership, and man, it was awesome having Dan on the show. We'll see you guys again next week. In the meantime, please visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology, free lap timing system, K-Box, Gym Aware, PowerDot, and much more. Check them out. Check out their store. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, and we definitely appreciate your listenership. I always just get posts on Instagram and, and messages, and, and I really appreciate the feedback and kind words from you all. Uh, if you haven't done so and want to leave us a rating or review, would definitely appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you guys next week with another great guest. Have a good one.